3: Now the WBBM Noon Business Hour. WBBM News Time 1203. It's great to have you with us for the Friday edition of the Noon Business Hour. I'm Cisco Cotto. The Noon Business Hour is presented by Republic Bank of Chicago. Entrepreneur Friday, another entrepreneur moving into the cannabis business in some of the suburbs. Also, city cruises along the river, getting back to it right now. Reports on producer prices and business inventories highlight today's data. We're joined by Carl Riccadonna, Chief U.S. Economist at bloomberg based in new york carl we want to begin with producer prices we we want a thumbnail sketch of of kind of what it's saying but also help us to understand for maybe newer listeners what are producer prices and why are they so important
4: well, producer prices are the prices uh, at the factory gate, if you will. Uh, so those are not necessarily the prices that get passed along to consumers, although eventually the good does leave the factory and, and head to uh, your uh, supermarket or your local retailer. Uh, so this is kind of a way of looking at upstream inflation pressures, uh, particularly for goods as opposed to uh, services, which obviously are harder to measure through the uh, production. And what this tells us is that uh, as the economy is uh, experiencing this dramatic reopening, which we saw last Friday in the March job report, which we're seeing in factory surveys, which we're seeing in a whole slew of indicators, uh, the imbalances between supply and demand are leading to price pressures. And that could be semiconductor chip shortages, uh, lumber shortages. Uh, We're seeing a lot of inflation pressures as we reopen. And there's that uh, imbalance uh, between supply and demand.
3: And so are we seeing the signs? I mean, everyone's assumed that inflation is going to be part of this recovery. Is that really what we're seeing here?
4: Well, if we're growing at a pace like we're expecting to see this year, uh, my team is forecasting about 7.7% GDP growth, which is kind of an off-the-charts number. We have to go back to 1983, big growth approaching that type of speed. Uh, Fast growth in the economy does tend to generate some price pressures. The question will be, if it can be sustained uh, and the answer to that question will usually depend on whether workers actually start to see some price increases in their paychecks as well. If workers aren't getting paid more, then these price increases will definitely uh, prove to be temporary or transitory as the Fed's reserve uh, referring to it. Uh, but if we do start to see some of the same inflation pressure, for uh, factory goods, for instance, in the PPI, uh, going to factory workers, then the prices could have more sitting power.
3: Talk about the challenge of forecasting what will happen in the economy, given the fact that obviously always there can be something unexpected that happens. But with the different variants, cases going up, you have some governments talking about going back in, in, into restrictions. It seems like a challenge to really know what's going to happen the rest of the year.
4: A lot of uh, other uh, peers of the U.S. economy uh, are going in the wrong direction in terms of case counts and renewed lockdowns and whatnot where the uh, U.S. economy is definitely going to be the growth locomotive uh, for the global economy this year. And, in fact, uh, the IMF's latest forecast showed that, that this will be the strongest year for global growth uh, in at least a couple of decades. So, uh, you know, there, there is certainly a lot more uncertainty on the internet front. Uh, but, in the meantime, as we look at the U.S. economy, we really have to try to discern what is just the reopening of the economy, right, that big March jobs report. Uh, was largely uh, folks in the leisure and hospitality industries and uh, kind of high-touch service industries being called back to work after being furloughed for the better part of a year, uh, and so we're trying to determine what is just the reopening trade uh, and what is actually real economic growth, which will endure after the pandemic.
3: Thanks so much for all the details and analysis. That's Carl Riccadonna, Chief U.S. Economist at Bloomberg in New York. It's not just the auto industry that's taking a hit from a worldwide shortage of computer chips. Let's get the latest from Dan Gallagher, tech reporter for the Wall Street Journal's Heard on the Street column based in San Francisco. Dan, help us to understand what's going on here with chips.
5: Uh, Well, we've talked before about how this, this shortage is happening where, you know, they... Makers just simply can't make enough to satisfy demand, um, and that is it's not getting it's not getting better quickly for sure. I mean, it's a it's, it's a slow process to improve, and we're seeing signs just in this last week of, about how it's getting uh, worse with com- companies like GM idling production, and it's just not going to be a problem that's
3: uh, solved quickly. And what does it impact? Again, we've talked about the auto industry, but it seems like it's got to be wider than that.
5: Uh, it is. I mean, we actually – there was an interesting report in a Japanese newspaper this week about that even Apple is cutting back some orders for its Macs and its iPads, you know, production orders, because they have, they're having a hard time getting the necessary components. That's significant because Apple is – we know it's the largest – you know, it's the, it's the largest, you know, it's a be- best capitalized com- country <laughs> – I'm sorry, company in the world. Billions of dollars in cash. It's usually in front of the line. For anything it has to buy, any kind of supply component chip, and so even so, if they're feeling the impact, um, it's really hitting probably everybody that buys chips for any kind of product.
3: You have Intel here uh, building new chip plants, and these are in Arizona. I mean, does this reflect the fact that okay, you have this chip shortage, but it's not like we're going to get past this? The need for chips is only going to grow.
5: It's going to. It's certainly going to grow, um, and. You know the question is: Can companies like Intel and TSMC and and you know chip makers like that can they, you know, build new plants and eventually catch up with demand and also satisfy what are you know frankly like some national security concerns? Uh, the White House just set a meeting today that for next week that they're going to have companies like Intel and Samsung and TSMC and Car and Ford, um, this kind of confluence of chip makers and chip buyers at a summit to discuss you know, ways to, ways to address this. Um, but it takes, it takes years to build a good uh, chip fab, And, and you know, the latest, most cutting edge ones cost more than $20 billion a piece now.
3: Talk about some of the reasons why this happened. at the pandemic, didn't you have some people who would normally need chips, they kind of slowed down their orders and then that got everything all out of whack?
5: Uh, yeah, that's precisely what happened, especially, you know, the car industry, you know, early in the pandemic, car sales really fell, obviously, because people were concerned about their jobs and spending. And so the you know the car makers cut off orders for chips and other components. What they found is that when demand bounced back and they tried to get orders going again, chip makers couldn't exactly, you know, you don't just press a button on a chip machine and have it spit out, you know, new chips for your products. Even the simplest chips take weeks or even months to go through the process of production. And Um, when the automakers tried to get more chips for their products, the manufacturers were making – were busy on chips for things like the new iPhone launches and other things. They just didn't have the capacity.
3: Really good details. Thanks for bringing us up to date on this. Dan Gallagher, tech reporter for the Wall Street Journal's Heard on the Street column. Just ahead, taking a high speed ride on Lake Michigan or a leisurely cruise on the Chicago River. These cruises are getting back at it. It's going to be good. The WBBM noon business hour continues. As the weather improves and COVID vaccinations become more prevalent, people are looking for fun outdoor activities. Joining us on the McGrath Lexus business line, Dan Russell, chief operating officer of city cruises here in chicago dan it's good to have you with us so tell us which of the you know there's a lot of cruise lines here in chicago which ones do you operate hi cisco
6: well happy friday it's great to be on your show today um big bbm fan by the way thank you um we operate um all of the dining cruise vessels cisco down on navy pier so city cruises operates the odyssey cruise line which is our upscale uh public cruise Um, the Spirit Cruise Line with the Spirit of Chicago and Spirit of Navy Pier. We've got a private charter boat called the Elite, and then we operate all of the Sea Dog speedboat rides on Navy Pier. And on the Chicago River, you may have seen our all-glass Odyssey Chicago River vessel uh, plying the river. It's been open since Valentine's Day. So those are all our lines here in Chicago.
3: So now people uh, kind of excited to get back to it, even in a different world. Uh, kind right. of talk to us about what the pandemic has done and, and what this summer may look like on some of these vessels?
6: Yeah, well, this is uh, the pandemic is an event where we're all going to want to forget, aren't we? But certainly in the hospitality and cruise industry, it's been a, it's been a very challenging year for sure. Um, but uh, looking forward, Cisco, I can tell you that the interest in getting out is very very strong the cruises that we have had open um, at limited capacity are by and large all selling out Um, the inquiries that we're receiving especially in markets like weddings social events and things like that are very very strong and uh, we're very optimistic um, about a much improved summer uh, looking ahead here
3: now, limited capacity obviously that's that's difficult for the operator right because it's not like you have a bunch of wasted space, and right. yet I'm wondering if you're getting feedback from customers that they know it may not last forever, but right now they they kind of like limited capacity
6: oh absolutely no, and that that's why we did that um obviously, we're gonna follow all guidance from the c d c the state and the city um but there's also um guest comfort and and their comfort level with everything so Um, That's why we've done that, and it has been very valued. In addition to that, we've got uh, um, what we call our Cruise Safe Program, which is a robust program of social distancing, mask-wearing, um, and PPE and cleaning uh, processes, all of which keep us, you know, at the cutting edge of uh, managing this COVID situation.
3: Cruises on the Chicago River and Lake Mission, kind of a, a sign that things are getting a little better in this pandemic. That is Dan Russell. He is Chief Operating Officer at City Cruises here in Chicago. Thanks so much, Dan. Still ahead, it's Entrepreneur Friday, experiencing growth in the recreational marijuana industry out in the suburbs. Chicago's all news station, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon, thanks for joining us. I'm Cisco Coto. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. Some issues have popped up with the Johnson and Johnson COVID vaccine. Voters have been counted in an effort to unionize Amazon workers in Georgia. It's Entrepreneur Friday. We learn about a suburban marijuana dispensary that is doubling its footprint. Restaurants struggle to find workers as they rev up for a spring and summer comeback. WBBM Business: The Dow is up 93. Nasdaq up 10. The S&P also up 10 points. Oil is down right about a half a percent. We have clouds in Chicagoland, scattered rain, a few pockets of sunshine as we head to a high of 63 degrees. For the weekend, we have highs in the 50s. Right now, 58 degrees. Some super sites in North Carolina and Colorado have paused the use of the Johnson & Johnson COVID vaccine after some people reported adverse reactions, including fainting. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention says that's not an uncommon side effect. Meanwhile, there are going to be fewer doses of vaccine available in the U.S. next week.
2: Vaccination sites across the country will not get as many Johnson & Johnson vaccine doses next week as planned. The federal government will only distribute 700,000 doses. Of far cry from the 4.9 million doses expected. The specific cause of the more than 80% plunge in supply wasn't clear, but it comes as J&J deals with a manufacturing setback at a Maryland plant. Elise Preston, CBS News,
3: New York. Amazon has secured enough votes to block a union effort at a warehouse in Alabama, possibly cutting off a path that labor activists had hoped would lead to similar efforts throughout the company. Nearly 1,800 warehouse workers rejected the retail, wholesale, and department store union, while 738 voted in favor. That's according to the National Labor Relations Board, which is overseeing the process. A reminder, Odyssey is your new home for all the audio that matters to you. Download the Odyssey app, A-U-D-A-C-Y, to listen to WBBM anytime making sense of your dollars. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. The Noon Business Hour is presented by Republic Bank of Chicago. Stocks on the plus side today, the Dow up 95, Nasdaq up 15, and the S&P is up 10 points. Darren Pollack is joining us, portfolio manager at Chevy Yacht Value Management based in Beverly Hills, California. Darren, good to talk to you. What do you make of what you're seeing on Wall Street today?
7: Well, it seems like it's a continuation of the market in the recent past having sort of moved on past that interest rate run-up that we saw late in February and in early March, and where the Fed then marched out a number of its board members to really calm the nerves in the marketplace and get things back on track and tell the market that the Fed would be – both vigilant against inflation and at the same time aggressive in terms of stimulating the economy. So basically telling market participants that they can have their cake and eat it too. And in the meantime, it looks like market participants are believing in that concept. And, you know, we march, we march and move ahead.
3: What does that do to values? I mean, do you think that the stocks are really worth what people are paying now? Are they expensive? What do you think?
7: Well, you know, there's thousands of companies across the market. It's hard to make a blanket statement, but we do see pockets where prices are reasonable. We see pockets where prices are quite extreme. And so I think it becomes a situation where investors have to be very cognizant of that. If they just buy the entire market as a whole, they may see extra volatility. But if they can really stick to pockets that are reasonably priced, better quality, higher value, they may do a lot better. Uh, but I think the more popular fun names to play these days are of much higher valuation, and I think that's exactly where investors need to be more cautious.
3: And that's fascinating. Uh, interesting that you say that, because that those sort of sexier stocks, th- those are the ones where people want to put their money, and when they're told they're expensive and then a month or two down the road they're even more expensive, they feel like they missed out.
7: Momentum is what matters most in the short run. That's exactly right. And so, you know, prices can move higher quickly. It can leave a lot of people behind. Then you have FOMO. And so maybe somebody who waited to buy in and pushes those prices higher, and then they get in at an even higher price, which is kind of the opposite way that most people behave or consumers behave in a different type of marketplace, you know, where everybody's always looking for lower prices to buy goods and services. But in the stock market, as prices rise, Often people will say, I just can't take it anymore, or they'll find that stock to be more attractive. Then they'll pile in. It's, it's kind of an unusual circumstance, but it's always been the case in financial markets.
3: So uh, help us with an idea here. You mentioned there are some pockets where there are, uh, there are some value stocks. Help us to understand where some of those may be.
7: Well, we own a business, take Liberty Broadband, for example. Now, Liberty Broadband's main asset is a very large stake in a company called Charter Communications, which provides... One of the most essential services that we all have and use today, which is home broadband services, so home Internet. It's a business that grows steadily. Its profitability is continuing to increase, and the shares of Charter are trading for roughly 10 times this year's EBITDA. Buyers in the market today can acquire that stake that Liberty owns at a discount to what that charter position is actually selling for. So it's a great business. It's high quality. It's steadily growing. And it seems to be trading at a pretty good bargain.
3: Are there uh, maybe any of the, uh, the the reopening areas, you know, thinking some of the uh, travel stocks, that sort of thing? Should people be paying attention to that? Because as we get back open, it, it seems like some of those cruise lines and, and the airlines, you know, there's going to be a rebound there.
7: There's definitely going to be a rebound from a main street perspective and demand for those services is going to climb steadily for the next couple of years. That's at least what we expect. That seems to be more than priced in. If you look at the amount of debt that those companies raised in the last year, plus the fact that those stock prices are not very cheap anymore. So if you bought the entire company, you paid for all the stock, all the debt, you're actually paying a lot more for those businesses than you would have a couple of years ago. So we don't really see any value there and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that people have already moved into those stock prices pushed them higher and it just they don't make a lot of sense to us to be frank.
3: Good insight. Thank you so much. That's Darren Pollock. He is portfolio manager at Cheviot Value Management in Beverly Hills. Up next, it's Entrepreneur Friday. The president of a suburban marijuana dispensary. It's now opening a second location. It's Entrepreneur Friday this afternoon. The focus is on the burgeoning recreational marijuana industry. Joining us on the McGrath Lexus Business Line, Gary Leff, president of Hatch Dispensary. Gary, it's good to have you on the show. So uh, you are one of the, if I understand this right, you, you got. One of the original licenses so you've been doing this for a little while
8: yeah we got one of the original licenses back when the act was passed in uh 2014 we opened up our first uh medical facility in 2016 in addison illinois added adult use to that just this past august and uh Proud to announce, we opened our first adult use only dispensary in Wheeling, Illinois, uh, just this past Monday.
3: So we, as we report, you know, regularly the updates on marijuana sales the, on the recreational side. It seems like it's growing practically every month. Is that what you're seeing on the ground too? That the, the, you know, there's clearly an appetite for this.
8: Absolutely, people are discovering the benefits of cannabis. It's becoming more widely distributed. Uh, more and more. Products are coming uh, out in the marketplace that are tuned to specific needs. And, uh, uh, you know, it's surprising a broad demographic out there is using cannabis to improve their uh, quality of life. So, yeah, it's, it's growing, uh, growing daily, weekly, monthly.
3: Talk uh, about uh, talk about different uses, because you, you have, I guess, different ways to consume it, because historically people just think, at least for the most part, of smoking it. And yet there's just so much more than that.
8: Oh, so much more than that. So, you know, you can obviously smoke it. Uh, You can smoke it with flour. You can smoke it as a concentrate for, you know, people who are a little bit more experienced who are experts. Uh, You can consume an edible. Uh, That could be a a gummy. Uh, It could be, you know, hard candy, a cookie. Uh, We have tinctures, uh, which are just little liquid drops. Uh, We have capsules now. Some of those capsules... Capsules have more than just cannabis. They have other herbs and adaptogens, uh, which may be targeted for sleep, for anxiety, for stress. Um, and so uh, all kinds of different ways. You can, you can use a balm for pain. You can use a patch for pain. Uh, you know, there are well over 500 products in the marketplace today, and, uh, you know, we carry mostly nearly all of them.
3: Talk about the challenge as an entrepreneur. Talk about the challenge. If I understand right, don't, doesn't all of your product have to be produced here in the state of Illinois? It's, it's not like you can necessarily just shop around the country or even beyond for uh, for the marijuana products.
8: Absolutely. This state, uh, we can only purchase uh, cannabis that has been cultivated and processed in the state. There's, it's all tracked and traced from the cultivator to us. Uh, we have to account for every single product in our store on a daily basis. Uh, Yeah, no product is coming in from out of the state. So today I believe there are 14 cultivators. Uh, There will be more. The state is... issuing another 40 craft licenses and uh you know there will be more coming after that so the marketplace will grow but it's all with it's all state-by-state business at this point and i believe that'll continue for a while even after it goes federally legal
3: what do you do as it grows and and there's new customers all the time what what do you do to encourage and maybe educate for responsible use because there's a lot of people who never would have tried it before and now they are
8: Yeah, we spend a lot of time with each and every guest that comes in. Uh, For those guests that want, don't you know what we call the cannabis curious or cannabis cannabis novices, we'll sit down and do consultations with them. You know, those can be a ten minute consultation, and sometimes they can be an hour consultation. Uh, But there's a lot to learn. We try to uh, pinpoint specific. Uh, issues that they may be trying to solve. Again, that could be sleep, that could be pain, that could be stress, anxiety. Uh, for some, it's just social lubrication and relaxation, but we will sit down and make sure they get to the right product and also uh, get to the right dose. And. Uh, It's pretty amazing being in this business for the last uh, five years, just the broad demographic spectrum that we see come in. It's not just – I'd say a very small piece of the business is what people would think is stoners. It's a lot of older folks uh, who want to get off prescription drugs or opioids uh, that are not good for quality of life. They transition to cannabis, and it's just miraculous. It's the best part of the business, is seeing. Uh, how uh, big an impact we can have on the quality of life of our patients and our adult use customers at this point
3: talk about uh, i don't know what to call it maybe community relations when you move into a neighborhood because if if an entrepreneur opens a new restaurant or a new clothing store or bookshop or something like that it's not going to be very controversial and yet whenever a new dispensary comes in there's some people who are happy and some people who aren't so happy how do you navigate that
8: Absolutely. Uh, well, first you find a community that's receptive and more and more communities are becoming receptive. And, you know, you reach out and you educate the community. We did that in Wheeling. Uh, they're smart. They're business minded. They had concerns. We address those. We address the concerns of any, uh, you know, other consumers. And I think, uh, you know, for the most part, there's always some naysayers, but we're able to convince people that this is a positive, uh, uh, product for, uh, their community and generate significant tax revenues. And we believe you know, there are a lot of vices out there, but, you know, compared to alcohol, even, we believe this is a, uh, a safer product. So we've been pretty successful in being able to get communities to uh, come on board. And then and then we're a partner with the community. Again, they make significant tax revenues uh, out of this, and we continue to stay in touch and donate back to the community. We hire people from the community. So I think we we become good partners with the community, and both in – Addison and Wheeling, that's proved to be true.
3: Thanks so much. Gary Leff, president of Hatch Dispensary. That's Entrepreneur Friday. Still to come, some restaurants looking far and wide for workers as they try to reopen after the pandemic. The best daily deal in Chicago. The WBBM Noon Business Hour. As restaurants reopen or increase their capacity, employers are putting up the help wanted sign. Many, though, are struggling to find help. Ali Moradi is joining us, restaurants and retail reporter at Crane's Chicago Business. Ali, it's always good to talk to you. So you have these restaurants. They've been waiting to get back open. They want to get back open. And now it sounds like they're struggling to find the workers they need to get back open.
0: Yeah, it's true. It's become a huge problem in the restaurant industry. And I'm here in other industries, too. But you know, everybody's eyes are kind of on the restaurant industry right now as everybody um, gets excited to go back out to eat.
3: Are they at all talking about why they're having trouble finding You'd figure there's unemployed people who either were working there or would like to work there. They just want a job. Right. So
0: there's sort of like this perfect storm of all these different factors coming together to create this huge problem for the poor restaurant operators who have already been, you know, running at a loss for the better part of a year. But basically – You know, back in um, March and April last year when everything had to shut down, the industry had to lay off a ton of workers. Um, It was a huge hit, and they were able to bring some back over the summer. You know, it's patio season, but then everything shut down again in October, November, December, reopened in January. It's been this real roller coaster for these restaurants. A lot of people left the industry. You know, they were like, we don't want to do this. They went back to school, went to something more stable. Some people left Chicago, um, you know to go to areas that may weren't strict with their restaurant restrictions. And then some people may just not be ready to go back yet. Restaurant workers just became eligible for their vaccine at the end of March. And at this point, they might want to wait for that. Um, others, you know, they may be okay with the unemployment that they're getting, the stimulus money that they're getting. There's kind of a lot. And then at the same time, you know, every restaurant that survived the pandemic is trying to reopen and staff up. Right now, on top of a normal hiring spree that goes on, in the springtime to get ready for the summer. So, this has kind of a lot playing into this.
3: Yeah, we may not even know this yet. It may take a while to kind of get some of the numbers, but I'll bet this means restaurants are having to pay people more. They're, they're kind of in competition here.
0: Yep, you're absolutely right. They're paying people more, they're offering more benefits. Um, some, they're poaching from other restaurants. You know, some are having to lower their expectations for the experience they usually ask for in their candidates and then are having to invest more in training. And again all that stuff in a normal times you know would be one thing but now after operating the loss for over a year it's it's going to be a hit to these restaurants and the stakes are high right because it could so issue could basically slow down the reopening more than it already has been by rising covid
2: counts.
3: Yeah and you have a lot of uh, restaurants that cannot wait any longer. Yeah thank you that's good inside Ali Maradi restaurants and retail reporter you read her in Crane's Chicago Business.
1: <laughs>